0: The scriptural text for the message today is found in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." The Word of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the certainty of your Word, in which it is written in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms that the Christ would suffer and would rise again from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Thank you for that certainty. Open our minds to understand,
1: I pray, in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. Luke chapter 24. Thank you, Mark, for reading the text, verses 36 through 49. We have been noting the storyline of the Bible. For me personally, it's been a very enriching study. I have benefited greatly from it as an individual. I like talking about creation, the storyline's theme being God in his person and his purpose. When I say I like the introduction of a villain, I don't like the villain. But I like the story in how God portrays himself as the hero. He is both deliverer and brings deliverance. We have, in a sense, made a mess of things by our own efforts. We are now clothed with shame, fear, and guilt. But God has sent his deliverer and for us deliverance. And we have been delivered in the person and work of the hero from our shame, from our fear, and from our guilt. And the hero has now left us with a legacy. He has left us with something that we as his people are to be doing. The hero has finished the work that has been entrusted to him by his father. He now gives us, his people, the responsibility to carry on the work of proclamation to all the nations. And that's what we will see in this text. This responsibility is part of his ongoing legacy for those who love him to carry out. This is what we as his people, we as Christians, followers of Christ, are to be engaged in. The hero has finished the work entrusted to him by his father. Now he has given to his people the responsibility to carry on the work of proclamation to all the nations. And I find it interesting that even though we acknowledge the story of God, we often fail to see how we are living in the story. The Bible is not simply a good story that's found solely in Genesis through Revelation. It is a story that encompasses all of life and that we as his people are a part of that story. And we have been left with a legacy of retelling the story to everyone, everywhere, at all times. That is our responsibility, to retell the story of God's hero of the villain, of the hero's work, and how he has conquered the villain and has brought to us deliverance from our shame, our fear, and our guilt. We are the means that God has established for the proclamation of his story to all the nations. We are the means. This is the channel, the tool which God chooses to use to proclaim the story To every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And this is his legacy to us. This work is the treasure that we are to share with all the nations. And you and I must see how we are a part of this one story. And how God, in and through his church, is moving his one story forward. God's story is continuing to unfold. In the absence of... Of this retelling, if you and I fail and cease to retell the story, the story dies with the last generation. And thus it is a story that is to be retold over and over and over again. This is done, in my mind, in the most unspectacular ways. The context in which the story is retold is, at many moments, routine and mundane, It is a story that is verbalized and visualized by the constant faithfulness of his followers to simply follow him. We are constantly retelling the story, the story of God's hero, his victory and conquest of the villain, how he has delivered us from our shame, our fear, and our guilt. The tapestry of God's story is made up of countless threads. And each moment of every day is a part of that eternal tapestry of God. And you and I, as we have been visiting the storyline of the Bible, you and I, as individuals, in very unspectacular ways, are a part of this one story. We are the various threads that make up the tapestry of God's story. We are looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. And I believe inside of this narrative, inside of this passage, God helps us to draw all the various pieces together. We see the hero's foretelling. We see the hero's arrival. We see the hero's work. We now see the hero's legacy. It's if we have the entire storyline of God in a nutshell in this one narrative. It is as if we have a large puzzle with various pieces and the puzzle maker shows us the big picture and how all the various pieces now fit together. You and I are a part of this one story. You and I are the various threads that make up the tapestry of God. And he gives us, as it were, the big picture. The storyteller, the puzzle maker, tells us what this is all about. For all of us, In all of our various walks of life, as we look at the passage, there are two primary parts. There's the scene itself in which the sermon that our Lord preaches is preached. That sounded interesting. There's a scenario or a scene, and in the context of that scene, Jesus preaches this sermon. And the sermon that he preaches has three primary points, and that's what we will consider this morning. But I think it is necessary when we establish the context of the sermon is to look at the scenario in which the sermon is preached. And that is found in verses 36 through 43. 36 through 43. And notice what it says. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. It's interesting what Luke does. He doesn't give us significant transitions. He simply takes what has happened, a resurrection, and... Before the ascension and he eliminates as it were the days and he mashes them all together And he's simply giving us the highlights of what transpired during the 40 days after his resurrection From the dead, but notice what he does while they were telling these things he himself jesus stood in their midst and he said to them Peace be to you, but they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit Remember that they had put all their hope in the hero's arrival. They were not that sure of the hero's work. The hero, whom they have placed all their confidence, all their trust, is now crucified. He is murdered. And the followers of the hero have scattered. And now he reappears to them after his resurrection. What would our initial response be to that idea? I think the text captures for us this very honest and transparent response. We would have thought, oh joy, Jesus is alive. That's what we do now, isn't it? He is not here for he is risen. Woohoo! He is standing in their midst. The scenario, the scene is still very, very raw. And their initial response is that of being startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And now listen. He says to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Why do these doubts, why are you still wrestling with these ideas? There is this mixture of confusion and joy. Confusion and joy. And Jesus recognizes what is happening in their hearts. Why are you so troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and blood as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. It's as if God once more condescends to the unbelief of his immediate audience. Lord, show us a sign. Well, how will this one do? (laughs) Steps into their very presence and says, now look. Okay, go ahead. He's not beating them over the head. He's not riding them into the ground. He's condescending. And he's saying, look, it's really me. It's really me. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, they were just beside themselves. He said to them, and I find it so interesting What would what would he have potentially said to his disciples to perhaps calm them down and turn their doubt to faith? Get me something to eat. Get me something to eat. Incredibly practical, undeniably physical, and it assures his disciples that I am who I have said I am. I am King Jesus, I am God's hero. I am your deliverer and deliverance from your shame, from your fear, from your guilt. I'm the man. And there is no other one beside me. And I will prove it to you over and over and over again until finally you believe. And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. A very simple act of communion, a very simple act of fellowship. So in this context of both confusion and joy, we have the sermon that our Lord preaches, as it were, to his immediate audience. And that sermon has three primary points. He gives them the meaning. He gives them the message, the meaning of the mission. He gives them the message of the mission and then the mission itself because of the work. What does all this mean? And there are three primary points that our Lord gives to his disciples. He begins in verses 44 and 45 by noting the meaning of his work. What does all this mean? Everything that I have just done. There is a foretelling and fulfilling that is noted in these two verses. Notice what he says. Now he said to them, here's the sermon. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. What I have said to you concerning myself has come to pass. I have not lied. I am a truth teller. Everything that I have told you about myself has come to pass. And then he says that and what Jesus said and what the Old Testament has said are complementary. There is continuity between these two ideas of Jesus and the Old Testament. That all things which are written about me, In the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. A very fascinating verse that I will not comment on, verse 45. But God opened their minds in order that they would see the Christocentricity, the Christ-centeredness of the Old Testament text, the Hebrew scriptures. Everything our Lord is and does is a part of the Bible's story. He proves this by going back to what is already known. I will prove to you that I am all that the text says I am. Our Lord speaks to the foretelling and figuring of his arrival and work from the Old Testament text. When our Lord references the law and the prophets and the writings, he is speaking to the complete Old Testament canon. The law, the prophets, and the writings equals their Bible. And he is saying, from Genesis to Malachi, everything in it tells of me. And all that it has told is fulfilled in me. He connects for his audience the various dots of the story. They were seeing the various pieces. They were seeing the dots. But they had not yet connected all the dots. And he opens their understanding so that they see him As the one who connects all the dots, he shows how his arrival and work are in complete fulfillment of the foretelling and figuring of the Old Testament. Our Lord reviews the story in order to prove what is now apparent. It said that I would come, and I came. It said that I would die, and I did. It said that I would be raised from the dead the third day according to the Scriptures, and I am. I'm right here standing in your midst. I have fulfilled everything. Everything. That was foretold. this is the meaning of his work. The events of divine providence are a fulfillment of the divine Word. All that he is and has done is in accordance with what was spoken of previously. The proverb stands true. hindsight is twenty twenty and now they look back, they see that everything he had said was so. Think about our lord 's words to his disciples on the road to Emmaus and The 24th chapter of Luke's gospel, the 27th verse, notice what it says. It's a very familiar text, but notice what it says. Beginning in verse 26. Actually, let's begin in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He's using the Hebrew text. Was it not necessary? Absolutely necessary. And he uses the same idea, the same wording in verses 46 and 47. But was it not absolutely necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus is in the text. This is the meaning Of his work. When we think of John chapter 1, verse 45, remember Philip's words to his brother Nathaniel. He says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Remember John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus Christ speaking to the religious leaders when questioned his person and his work he responded by saying in john chapter 5 verse 39 you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life it is these that testify about me everything from genesis to malachi it's all about me it's all about the deliverer and the deliverance it fulfills the prophecy this is the meaning of his work For those who have ears that hear and eyes that see, Jesus is the seed of Abraham and the Lamb of God, promised to bring deliverance to his people from their shame, from their fear, from their guilt. This is what he does for us. None who seek him will fail to find him. And none who wish to understand will fail to comprehend. He opens blind eyes and deaf ears. This is what he does. And this is the meaning of his work. But now notice what happens in verses 46 and 47. We have the message. The message is his work. That which you and I are to be retelling is the message. And it is his person and his work that we are to be retelling. That's the story. Notice what happens in verses 46 and 47. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. It had to happen. It was foretold and now it is fulfilled. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That last statement is just captivating. Where were they to start the process of retelling the story? In the very place that it, Happened. The place where hostility was the highest. That is where you are to retell the story. Who are the hardest people for us to reach? Family. Begin in your Jerusalem and retell the story. Retell the story. Retell the story. We keep on telling the story. When we look at the message being the work, That he accomplished. There are three things that help us in this passage. First, the causation. It says that Christ must suffer and rise again. This message is the centerpiece. It is the centerpiece. And I believe that that is what has been established by our Lord in the previous two verses and throughout the entire New Testament. But this message of Christ crucified is the centerpiece of all biblical revelation. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It became proper and necessary that the Messiah should thus suffer. It was predicted of him, and all things have happened as it was foretold. What was foretold had to be fulfilled. It had to be fulfilled. God would neither be denied nor defeated. In noting the hero's work, and and this is what we did last week, we've noted the hero's work. We cannot assume we understand the necessity of his resurrection. In the absence of that resurrection, all hope would be lost. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval on the hero's person and his work. And this is what the hero did. He rose from the dead. The resurrection was the sign to the early Christians that this living God had acted at last in accordance with his ancient promises. All that God has foretold has been fulfilled and had thereby shown himself to be God, the unique creator and sovereign of the world. Notice how this text plays out. This is the centerpiece of all biblical revelation and it is what we are to be preaching. It is our story. It is Our message that we bring Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead and the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. You and I have been entrusted with a legacy, a legacy. It's his good name, his person and his work that we are carrying on and we are invited to proclaim and to retell the story over and over and over again. Do we know what we are about as a fellowship? Do we know what the ministry as a local church is? Whatever our ministry is as a church comes from God's mission, comes from God's message. The centerpiece of all that we do and say is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every ministry that we have is simply a retelling of the story. It is his message that is to be proclaimed. As a fellowship, we are to preach Christ crucified and in his name, the forgiveness of sins. We have, because of him, the ability to proclaim that people can be forgiven of their shame, of their fear, of their guilt, in Jesus' name. And that message is to go to every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, beginning in Jerusalem. It begins right here. Notice the consequence of what Christ did. Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. What I'd invite us to do, and this is what's been a a really interesting thing for me, is take the statement of verse 47, even verse 46, and place it in the storyline of God, in the story of God. When it says that Christ would suffer and die and rise again from the dead the third day, That's Genesis 3.15. That's Genesis 3.21. That is a fulfillment of the foretelling. And then when it says that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed, what are they repenting from? What are we repenting from? We're repenting from trying to cover our shame, our fear, and our guilt by our own efforts. We're repenting from the fig leaves. That's what we're repenting of. Our rebellion against God, that's what we are repenting of. I have chosen my way against his. And once I realize what has happened, I don't go to him for forgiveness. I try to cover it up myself. Those of us that have had small children, when they have done something wrong, what do they try to do? Cover it up. And what do they do when they attempt to cover it up? They only make it worse. That's what we are repenting of. When you plug this into the storyline, you realize that we are repenting of our rebellion against God and our attempts at trying to cover it up and only making it worse. We repent of our self-efforts. And what does God then grant us? Forgiveness of what? The little white lie that I told, the gossip, the bitterness, the animosity, murder, thievery, What has God forgiven me of? My rebellion against him. He has made it possible that my shame, my fear, my guilt has been removed in its totality. And how does that happen? By rejecting my way and receiving his way. That's what we're telling. No matter where we go, no matter to whom we tell it. That's what we're telling. You've got to repent of your inability and embrace his sufficiency. And when that happens, for the very first time in your life, you will experience the complete removal of your fear, of your shame, and of your guilt. But until that time, you will continue to wear that cloak, that garment. And no matter how hard you try at trying to fix it yourself, you will only make it worse. So we take verses 46 and 47 and we place it in the story. That's what Jesus has done in verses 44 and 45. He's taken what he has done and who he is and he's put it in the story. And now we look at verses 46 and 47 and we place it in the story. The whole story is about Christ crucified. That is what we are to be retelling. And the consequence of the story is that you and I can now leave off our inabilities and embrace his complete sufficiency and feel the forgiveness of sin. That shame, that fear, and that guilt that we have worn all our lives can be completely removed by Christ, but by Christ alone. I like the following statement that I read while I prepared for this moment concerning forgiveness, it is only when we repent of our own self-efforts of covering our shame, fear, and guilt, and accept by faith his sacrifice that we can be truly covered. This language echoes back to the Garden of Eden and that original act of rebellion by our initial parents, Adam and Eve. That's how we are to read the story. You and I, because of him, God's hero, our hero, has completely removed from us our shame, our fear, and our guilt. That is the story. But now look what Jesus does. We have the meaning of his work as it is found in the Old Testament text. We have the message is his work. What the hero has done in his person and work is the message we are to be retelling. But now notice the mission. Because of his work, there are three small things that we will note. The plan, to reach the world. You know what God's desire is for us as a fellowship? To reach the world. The people who are to witness. You and I have been left with a legacy. There's no one here who knows Christ as their Savior. Who is exempt from witnessing. It's our re- responsibility because it's our legacy. We are to be retelling the story and then the promise of future power. We have all that we need to do what is Wanted done. Three simple ideas. The plan is to reach the world. It says in verse 47. That we are to be retelling the story. In his name. To all the nations. To all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. What the hero initiates. His people are to disseminate. What he has begun. We are to carry forth. That's the legacy That has been entrusted to us. I do not know why we miss this, but we are to be proclaiming to our community, our nation, and our world the story of God. It's a simple story, and that's what we are to be proclaiming. They were to begin in Jerusalem. The fact that this city is noted first must not escape our attention. Remember, it was the religious leaders from Jerusalem that persistently opposed him. We, We have seen that repeatedly in Mark's Gospel. As it builds up toward the crucifixion, the disciples would have their metal tested right away. They were invited to go where the message was resisted the most. (laughs) This really speaks to me. Because the hardest people for us to reach are the people in our own family. And that's where we begin the telling of the story. A strong faith is always tested by trials, not cushioned by comfort. And God placed him right into the lion's den. It would be in Jerusalem where the events were most memorable. There is nothing that can absolve us, absolve me of this responsibility. No amount of delegation can fulfill my responsibility or our responsibility as a local church to think, to pray, and to act aggressively in the carrying out of our master's wishes. What does he want us to do? Carry on his legacy. Carry on his work. And where do we begin? Right here. But does it end here? No. It's to all the nations. We have to be thinking and praying and acting aggressively in the carrying out of our master's wishes. This is his legacy to us. We are to share the story with everyone everywhere at all times. But not only do is his plan to reach the world, but who are the people that are to carry it forth. Notice what it says in verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. By default, folks, whether you like it or not, you are a witness of these things. If you know the story, if the story has been told to you, and you've embraced the story, now you are a witness of the story. You are in the story. You are parts of the tapestry of God. You are pieces to the total puzzle. You are part of the subplot of the storyline moving forward. It is not a command telling us what we what to do so much as a statement about who we are. We are witnesses. And what are we witnessing of? The story. You know, the story is so simplistic that you can tell a small child the story. Pastor Caleb was talking about Jackson, his two-year-old, and they have this Jesus storybook, and we're going to buy it for Solomon. My wife and I are always real interested in teaching our grandson these truths. Solomon will be three in February. We are to be telling the story over and over and over again. It's so incredibly simplistic that a small child can understand it. But it is still, it's got parts that are still complex and we're still scratching our head over. But it's still, it's so simple. This is what all this has been doing for me. It's it's so incredibly simple. You know, there's a, a, a villain And the villain is you. You've rebelled against God. And as a consequence of your rebellion, you are covered with fear, with shame, and with guilt. And your knee-jerk response is to try to cover it up. And all you've done is make it worse. You've made it worse. But God has not left you to yourself. He has sent us a hero. A deliverer who brings deliverance. And by simply embracing him, we lose our fear, our shame, and our guilt. And we, we have tasted this. We have seen this. And now we are just going to retell the story again. Because everyone everywhere at all times is covered with shame, is covered with fears, covered with guilt. Everyone everywhere at all times are standing in rebellion against God. And they're trying so hard to cover up their sin and they're only making it worse. And we are to go to them And tell them the story. And God will bring to them deliverance. Notice verse 49 as to how it ends. And I'm really breaking this down into two parts because we have here a statement made by Luke, which reads as follows And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But until that promise comes to fulfillment, you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We know in Acts chapter 1. What happens? They're clothed. And you and I, since that day and forevermore, are clothed with the power. We have everything we need to do what has been asked. What God promises, He performs. And you and I now stand in that privileged position of being witnesses, of having tasted and seen that God is good. And now we are to retell the story in the most unspectacular ways, in the most mundane and routine ways, Sometimes it's the mountaintop, but oftentimes it's simply the valley of retelling the story to everyone, everywhere, at all times. I look at a passage like this, and I've asked myself, and I will ask you these same questions. Are we willing, as a fellowship, are we willing to be a part of God's team, God's church, whereby the story is retold to everyone in our circle of influence, if we simply retold the story, every one of us retold the story to those who come into our circle of influence, the kingdom of God will continue to advance. It will in our absence, but you and I have that privileged position of simply retelling the story to those in our circle of influence. It might be a, a small child. It might be one of our own. It might be a, a nephew-niece. It might be someone in the nursery. It might be a co-worker who comes in one day just crestfallen and brokenhearted and we retell the story. It might be an aggressive attempt by us to go out where it is needed most and retell the story. But are we willing to be a part of God's church, of God's team, whereby the story is continually retold? Are we willing, are we willing to be a part of a church plant locally, nationally, globally? We have to plan and pray and act aggressively? And are we willing? Are we willing to be a church where we are singularly committed to retelling the story? What's the story? It's Jesus. That's the story. And will we begin in our Jerusalem? How might we go about carrying out the legacy? It's a legacy. He left it with us. And he said to us, you are witnesses of it. It's not a choice you make. You are. It's like you're a theologian. You might be a poor one, but you're a theologian. You're a witness. Are we, as his witnesses, are we willing to stay and be a part of this local church through physical ministry and financial support? You might say to yourself, and this is true of me, I am not going to go into another geographical location. And when I say I'm not, it's not as if I have raised my hand in rebellion against God saying I won't go. But I really don't see right now God having me becoming a part of a church plant that's geographically different than where I am currently at. So am I willing to be a part of this place in such a way that I can empower people to do that? And are you willing? You might say, you know, I don't really see in the stars me going, but I sure in the world can stay and put my hands on the plow and get behind what's happening. Are you willing to do that? Stay, plant, and work to that end. And are you willing to go? Would you be willing to go in submission to the elders' direction, in submission to this church? Would you be willing to go? I seriously get goosebumps when people say to me, I want to go because I'm not going to go. So I need those who will go. And I want them to be as excited about me seeing them go as them being a part of what we're doing. This is the legacy left to us. It's his work. Now may we unify ourselves around this great work and move forward. We have to look at Acts chapter 1. So next week we'll look at Acts chapter 1, The Hero's Legacy, part 2. And I trust that you'll join us for that we are going to be transitioning into the celebration of the Lord's table, which for me is very, very fitting. That is the hero's work symbolically represented by the bread and the grape juice. That's the hero's work. This is the hero's legacy. One body, many members, united around him, Christ crucified. We're going to pray. And then after we pray, I would simply ask that you read the meditations, and prepare yourself with these thoughts. Our Father, I thank you for the opportunity that is ours to look at the text. It's your word. It's your idea, not mine. I look at it, and I'm simply amazed, often by its... I, I scratch my head at my failure to understand, but I'm also equally amazed at its simplicity. It's simply retelling the story don't need a PhD to do that. Just tell the story. May we be faithful in telling the story. Father, as we partake of the elements, may we see the story and then may we see the consequences of that story that we as a family are in community around this one idea. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.